every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello, and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This week's episode is the sixth installment of our special Uncuttable Budget Items mini-series, where we ask top CMOs and industry-leading market execs about their top three uncuttable budget items. This series was first introduced back in December of 2020. If you missed parts one through five, you can find them in the show notes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. Before we get into this week's episode, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at qualified.com. And now please enjoy part six of our special Uncuttable Budget Items mini-series with your host, Ian Faison. Hey everyone, this is Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios and your host of Demand Gen Visionaries. So this week we have a very special episode. It's time for our part six of the Uncuttable Budget Item series. Longtime listeners know what this means, but for our new audience members, we started this series at the end of 2020 with the goal that it would help you get a sense of where to put your budget in 2021. And with all of the awesome guests that we have on the show and all of your peers, they give us tips of how they would spend their budget. So we put it all together. You loved it. Now we're back for more. If you missed parts one through five, we'll link them up in the show notes and you can check them out in the Demand Gen Visionaries feed. But before we get into it, if this miniseries makes an impact on you in any way, or you just have some questions or feedback or thoughts or anything like that, you can email us at team at caspianstudios.com. You can shoot me a note on Twitter, at Ian Faison, or on LinkedIn, at Ian Faison. And we'd love to get your feedback on the show, on guest recommendations, or even hearing about clever and interesting ways that you are spending your budget in 2022. And of course, thanks always to our friends at Qualified for presenting the show. They're an amazing partner. And we couldn't do this without them. So if you like this podcast and you wanted to keep coming to you every week, go to qualified.com, learn more, talk to somebody in real time about your marketing needs. Fill your pipeline with Qualified. And lastly, thank you for being such an awesome listener of the show. We're closing in on 100 episodes, and none of that is possible without all of you. Without further ado, let's get to these inspiring CMOs marketing leaders, and uncuttable budget items. Anthony Canada, CMO of Hopin. What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? All right, I got them. So I think the, the highest order category for these things, I would file under a philosophy I have that in order to win in B2B marketing, you have to take brand seriously, which historically has been, I can imagine some folks listening in your audience might roll their eyes because brand and B2B typically meant corporate marketing, which meant this is like whatever budget scraps go to the rest of the team after demand gets their budget to hit the number, right? This is like swag and the new logo or whatever. And it's, it's so much more. Brand is the statement of why an audience should pay attention to your company. 
what do you stand for? What is the change you want to see in the world? And how do you really leverage your different marketing channels, which I'll, I'll walk through in order to convict the market into action? Because people don't buy things functionally, which is a bit of a, a disconnection from, I think, what, what folks would, would consider. They buy things emotionally. And so if you can build an emotive brand, that could be the biggest demand gen tailwind you can possibly come up with and a very scalable one, sustainable one too. So at the top of that to me is establishing some type of thought leadership and focusing on building thought leadership. So that means going beyond just positioning feature functionality. It means helping lead a conversation in the marketplace, whatever it is that your product stands for or seeks to build or disrupt from the ground up. And so a lot of this comes down to defining that. What is our point of view in the marketplace? How are we different than the competition? Or why is this a problem that no one's paying attention to and needs to pay attention to? And so establishing that positioning, if you will, that thought leadership is, is a big and I think very helpful starting point. The second is content marketing. Content marketing is the fuel for everything. Unless we're able to build a repeatable content motion that helps us drive our SEO capability, that helps us educate our prospects or existing customers on uh, around whatever it is that, that, that we're solving, that is the, I think, the fuel that makes the engine work at the end of the day. And so things like podcasting, which obviously is close to your guy's heart, we can go beyond the traditional blog post here and, and think about content truly as a media company. Every company needs to start acting like a media company or risk going out of business, pure, plain and simple. And when the cookie future that we're all staring down comes to light, the companies that survive are the ones that caught this early and were able to start investing and building their own content moat around the business. And then the third one is the community. You can have the most convicting thought leadership platform. You could drive a ton of content into the world, but unless your community is consuming that and saying it back to you, like, yes, this resonates. Yes, I believe the thing you're saying, then it's sort of all for naught. And so that shows up in many ways. And if I can bring up the funnel, shows up in are people enrolling in our database? Are they engaging with our content? Are, are folks going from being fans to prospects? Are those prospects converting? So there's that component of community. But then, of course, the people that attend your events, that listen to your, your podcasts and, and consume your content in general, your customer community, obviously. And so I think all products at the end of the day are on a, and this is very biased, I appreciate, on a path to commoditization. Every, if you're going to play a spreadsheet war, a feature war, it's just gonna, the inevitability. And so the true moat around the business that you want to build over time is be the market leader, which sort of aligns to the first one, educate the market on best practices, which is the second one. And third, have a community of people that validate you as the market leader. And if you can do those three things right, the demand side is, is a much easier proposition, not easy, but a much easier proposition than otherwise would be. Nikhil Behel, CMO of FICO. That's a great question. For us at the end of the day, it's really about putting our customers in the center of our journey. And anything that allows us to interact with our customer, to be front and center with them, to help them get better at what they do is incredibly important. And I think we were talking about this before we started the, the podcast in, even in the context of your own work here at Caspian, it really comes down to, at the end of the day, the value that you're creating 
for the person that you're interacting with. You have to earn that right to be able to interact with them. And the way you earn the right to interact with them is by providing them with value. So in the context of being front and center with your customer and adding value to that customer, that's really the, the lens that I use in answering your question. So our website is our number one way of actually telling our story of interacting with our customers and providing value to our customers. So that's incredibly important and not something that we would cut. Number two, we engage with our customers both now, of course, pre-COVID to a large extent, but both virtually as well as in person. And in particular, in some in the in-person events, we do it in two particular ways. One, where we bring a small group of our customers together on very discrete topics, looking at, at solving a, a very discrete problem. And we bring them together so that they can network with each other, they can learn from each other, but also so that we can bring our subject matter experts to the table. We do business in over 85 countries around the world. We do business with 90 of the 100 top financial institutions across the world. We pick up a tremendous amount of best practices through that effort and exercise. And we believe that it is part of us being embedded in the industry. It is our responsibility to share some of those best practices and to add value to, to our customers. And so we use those in-person events and those virtual events to, to be able to provide that back. And then the last one is very similar. It's the thought leadership materials that we create in product marketing that, again, take a lot of that, that material that we have learned, the best practices that we have picked up and memorialize them and then share back with our customers. Those are three things that I would not change no matter what. Heidi Bullock, CMO of Telium. Ooh, incredible. So I think for us, this is one that I've seen, especially recently with the pandemic. We do some really nice, high-tailored virtual event experiences, almost like a field event, but they happen virtually. And we're starting to do some of those in person, uh, depending on our audience and if they're okay with that. And I think for us in enterprise selling, we, we include customers and people that we're hoping to sell to. And I think the combination of that is has been incredible. For, for not necessarily a huge investment, that goes a very long way. That's number one. Number two, I think something that we've invested a lot in, and this might, I hope this makes sense to people as content. I think having a point of view, especially in a market that is competitive, and then obviously figuring out all the different ways to distribute that content and honing in on what works for us was something we spent time on. But for me, I felt like we were just, when I joined Telium, some of the basics were missing, like, hey, if you're going to adopt a CDP, what does your team need to look like? What are the use cases? So I think content, and then I would say the channel that we, we've seen some good success with is just some of our paid digital channels. I'm just being very honest. Those have worked very, very well for us. I would say an area we cut back on were some of the big, massive trade shows. I mean, and some of that we just did, obviously, because of the pandemic, but I, I haven't seen tons of loss from doing that. And then three, this might be interesting for folks, is we've used in-app to do a lot of marketing to our customers that has been very, very good for demand gen. So I think many of your listeners, they're not just marketing to net new, but also for customers. So we use a tool called Pendo and we've rolled out some programs using that that have been awesome and very cost-effective, but, but great for driving revenue. Alon Alroy, co-founder, CMO, and CCO of Bizabo. Three channels that I would not compromise on as Bizabo's CMO, one would be events. We sell the value of events. We sell to marketers. We must organize events. When I look at our own marketing trajectory, events were some of our own most defining and successful moments as a team. 
in May 2020, where the future of the profession was not clear, so many event organizers really lost their jobs, and people did not know how to how to continue. We ran our first ever virtual event ourselves. We call that almost in person. No one knew that at the time it was really not almost. We would probably had to wait another year for it being almost, but we, we named it almost in person. And that allowed us to lead by example. And we brought together 6,000 event leaders and really show them the way. And we're able to really create a lot of positivity. We initiated a lot of ideas and we then heard stories of people thanking us for keeping their jobs because they were able to go back to their boss and say, we saw how it can be done. Give us a chance. Let's try a virtual event ourselves. And that was a defining moment that really rallied the whole company together and changed the trajectory of our pipeline as well. One theme that we are constantly talking about, we even rebranded and really announced a new category just a few months ago. The whole category of event software was named event management software for almost 20 years since the early 2000s. When you think about the future, the future is really not about event management software anymore. It is really about event experiences. People can consume content anywhere. People can get a Netflix-like experience in terms of on-demand almost anywhere. So those who want to stay relevant, we need to evolve their offering to be focused on experiences. The attendee experience, the sponsor experience, the speaker experience, the organizer experience. So the future is really about experiences. And this is what we have been experiencing as well. And this is what we have been demonstrating to provide this immersive experience in which people feel connected, that really transforming from attendees to participants. You really need a lot of technology in order to do that. But it is not just about technology. It's a mindset that the days of you coming or attending an event, listening to content and leaving. So the pyramid of needs have changed. Historically, attendees attended events for the content, for the just overall networking, and then for the experience. And today it was flipped. People will attend because of the experience, then because of the networking, and then because of the content. Tyler Lessard, VP of Marketing and Chief Video Strategist of Vidyard. So... I'll start with, I mean, email is actually something that still works extremely well. And once you've build up, built up a strong base of an audience, email marketing is for us actually still a very efficient and effective mode of communication and engagement. So I will not cut email marketing out of the mix. It's a big play for us. Content, I know it's a big bucket. It's a very general topic, but content, 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 so, so important both for inbound and thought leadership, but also as a mechanism to support email marketing programs, direct campaigns, as well as the sales team and empowering them with tools that they can use as part of their direct sales process. So my content program, I'm absolutely holding on to. And finally, social media, broad strokes, we're finding to be really, really important as part of our strategy, LinkedIn is our primary channel because of the audiences we serve, particularly salespeople. That's a great place for them. So I'm going to hold on to those as well. So some somewhat traditional channels, if you will, but the way we use them today is very different from how we used them uh, years ago. Kevin Tate, Chief Marketing Officer at Clearbit. Uncuttable. So at Clearbit, content plays a big role. Content plays a big role. And the form for us, ebooks, 
and prescriptive content and blogs and customer, what we call recipes around how to use data to achieve these things. And so that is a huge, huge engine for Clearbit. And I think helps us create what we call marketing engaged leads or, or MELs. Uh, how do we get people interested in, in the topics? So that's one. The second, and I'm a little surprised to be saying this at this point in our, our remote world, but webinars, webinars and events continue to be great ways for us to, to sort of meet new people and, and bring people into the Clearbit funnel. It's funny. One hypothesis I have, I don't know if that's right or not, but as an industry participant, I used to be a part of you know, going to a show and just sort of being there and feeling connected and sort of that sense of collectivity. And now I think to an extent, webinars and virtual events serve some of that role. And so they've been really effective for us and I know for others. The last one I would highlight is what we call growth engineering, our free tools. And for us, this is effectively a PLG light motion, but we're able to take what Clearbit can offer and put it into some sort of bite-sized previews that have real value and that can help people explore the potential of data. Our most recent one is called the Weekly Visitor Report. And so you, you know, put a little tag on your website and we can show you, hey, here's the, the top 20 companies and here's what they who came to your site and here's what they looked at and here's a couple of interesting bits about that. Um, it's not the full product, but it's a free way to start to see what that value is and think about whether or not that could be useful for you. So the weekly visitor report has been a really popular addition this year. And that's, that's another big one for us. Karen Steele, Senior Vice President of Marketing at NEAR. I think the uncuttables, it sounds really obvious, but you have to understand your audience and whether you call it personas or segmentation, I don't actually care what marketers call it, you you have to be super in touch with the, the customer that you buy from. And for me, this is usually led by a product marketing function that does a really good job on defining the types of buyers, the types of personas, why they care, how you sell to them, what the differentiation is, how our competitors will talk to them, etc. But that's 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 huge. And, and, and for us at NEAR, because we have such a multifaceted set of buyers, we have these operational buyers that are completely different than these marketing buyers. And and so we're selling to two different worlds and schools of thought. And so that's 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 probably job number one. The other thing I would say is just understanding your data really well. And we did not have a robust database when I came into the company because we hadn't invested in building our database. And that seems like a very logical thing that you would do, but we weren't doing a bunch of outbound marketing. We were, we really had no outbound marketing. We had reps that had relationships that were calling on customers and, and we had a lot of success with that. And so building, understanding your first party data and looking at third party data and intent data and building building that whole practice of data around your business, I think is really critical to be able to market successfully. And that goes hand in hand with whether or not you have an account-based marketing strategy. For us, yeah, we, we have key verticals we sell into and we have key accounts for sure. But I wouldn't say when I walked into NEAR, we had a true ABM practice in the business. But 
we were behaving that way, even though it wasn't documented. And I think some of it is just documenting that, feeding that engine with with demand gen programs that support those target accounts. And so those are the, the, the non-cutaways. I think you've got to know your audience. You've got to have a good handle on your data. You've got to be looking at account-based strategies for sure in an enterprise B2B world. And then the last thing I will say is, and this is one of the reasons, and I did this at Marketo, and I did this at Lean Data, and I did it here at NIR, you've got to invest in the customer. And so one of the first people I hired when I joined Lean Data, and I think you know this, and one of the first people I hired when I joined NIR is a head of customer marketing and growth, somebody to not just do the traditional references and case studies. I mean, I look at customer marketing as the AAA, it's advocacy, it's adoption, and it's advisory. And those three things are so critical for the growth of a company that that's always been part of my DNA and it's always been one of the first hires I've ever made. Chief Marketing Officer Ritu Kapoor and VP of Demand Gen Julie Jin of Lob. For me, I lost, right? It's I can't cut anything. <laughs> but <laughs> based on where we are as a business and, and as an industry, we're sort of, we're the market leaders, we're leading the charge. So for us, thought leadership content is really important. We're helping transform a legacy industry. We're helping bring, bring it into the future. And it's important for us to really educate our buyers on how best to use direct mail, on the advantages of direct mail, on how to pivot to direct mail as digital becomes more saturated and how to really get the most out of the product. So for me, that is definitely the most uncuttable expense. And then Julie will agree with me around the organic SEO and our account-based strategies that, that we have focusing on the top mailers in the industry. Yeah, I mean, we, we are obviously going to say direct mail, but it's because we've already seen a lot of success when we combine it with other strategies. For years, I've been relying heavily on email, but what I've seen is we've had such a better pickup if we use postcards along with email. So that is probably at the top of my list of an uncuttable budget item right now is doing more and more direct mail using our software. Mark Josephson, CEO of Cast Iron and former CEO of Bitly. My three uncuttables are easy to answer. The very first hire at Cast Iron was a content creator, organic SEO, period, full stop. It's the thing we've spent the most money on, the most time on, and have seen the greatest return on. I don't believe in renting audience. I want to invest in content and resources that deliver more value over time. It is cost-effective low cost to acquire, but also, again, creates just real value if you do it right for the for your customers. So number one, uncuttable here is SEO. The second uncuttable channel or tactic for us is community. And what we're trying to figure out candidly still is how much of that community do we have to build ourselves versus participating and engaging in other people's communities where our customers spend time. And when you sell typical enterprise product or mid-market or MarTech, your customers are part of a team and they are they have coworkers. Our micro SMBs, our artisans, are solopreneurs. They don't have a team of people that they can talk to. They don't have a team of people that they can bounce ideas off of or go out for drinks with at the end of the day and complain about their boss. So being an essential part of helping create a workplace for them and a workplace culture and a workplace relationships. And so all those great things that you get out of those work relationships is 
priceless, and we're going to continue to invest heavily in that. And the third uncuttable is social, both organic and paid. So much of our customers' business, our artisans' business is conducted on social, and whether that's obviously Facebook and Instagram, but TikTok increasingly in the messaging platforms, that's where they are. They live all day, and their customers are there all day as well. Eugene Levin, the Chief Strategy and Corporate Development Officer at SEMrush. So we invest a lot in content. We invest a lot in researches and data-driven studies that we build. And then everything else is sort of centered around those content topics or clusters that that we cover. And, And the rest of the channels, they kind of work more on the distribution side, especially when we think about generating new demand. I think for, for management of existing demand, right, you can just run ads, especially search ads. But if you need to create new demand, if you need to explain new people why they should care about problems that your product is solving, then you need to create content and you need to figure out how to get their attention, how to make them read your blog posts or watch your videos. And, and that's, a, that's a tricky part, making people care about something in the world where you can spend your time doing much more interesting things. Like you can play Fortnite, you can watch YouTube videos, you can watch TikTok. All this stuff is way more exciting than reading about improvements in search rankings or social media performance and so on. So the tricky part is how to create content that it would be interesting for people to read and then leverage distribution channels to spread the word. So a so big part of what we do is, is content creation, then budgets on distribution. And as I said, we, we use pretty much everything. We use a lot of YouTube advertising. We use a lot of uh, social media advertising, display advertising. So whatever it takes to get people to, to consume the content and learn more about marketing in general and how SEMrush can help them specifically, we are doing all that. And then something that we started doing more recently is investing more money in brand marketing. Historically, our approach was that people buy solutions for their problems. So that's where we need to focus. We need to build best possible solution, then create content that explains why this is an important problem, why people should care, and how they can leverage our product to fix the problem, and then use whatever distribution we can to get their attention. But at some point, we started seeing that if people have better brand awareness, they are more likely to interact with our ads and our content. So what it means by investing more in brand, you can make other channels more efficient. So for example, let's say you have Facebook ad and the cost of conversion is just, for example, $10. So... The, the channel itself is going to have certain limits in terms of how money you can spend with the same efficiency, right? There are diminishing returns. At some point, you can spend two times more money and you will get only 20% more conversions. So instead of, sometimes instead of doing that, and instead of just trying to scale the channel to the limit, what helps is to invest this amount of money, not in this particular channel, but invest this amount of money in brand marketing, and then with increased awareness, maybe cost of conversion in social actually goes down from $10 to $8. And as a result, you can now scale the Facebook budget as well. 
So, so that's more of a newer thing that we are working. And I, I think one of the other ways to think about this is if you have a tide, right? And different vessels that, that are on the beach. When tide moves up, it elevates all the vessels, right? So you can think about it the same. Uh, the, the brand marketing is like this rising tide that, that moves and makes everything else better, but hard to measure on its own. So, so that's where we are focusing now, unlocking this, this brand marketing side. Demandgen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.